0: Welcome to Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Balo hosts Sarah Main on her ongoing journey of conscious confidence and gain timeless wisdom to unleash unparalleled confidence, a conscious confidence. Learn to ignite the living spark of wisdom, a new narrative for fulfillment contained in Sanskrit and the ancient, powerful, engaging, and fun conscious conversations to discover your own magnificent true self. Learn to dispel the fear shadow as Sarah provides essential knowledge about embracing change and the power of transformation. Get ready. Conscious Confidence starts now.
1: Welcome everyone. Welcome to Conscious Confidence Radio with Sarah Main. I'm the founder and creator of Conscious Confidence, a timeless wisdom, and I get to hang out with all sorts of interesting people and talk about really interesting topics that do relate to confidence and the expression of confidence in all sorts of fields in life. And this week and this month, I've had a theme of leadership. My previous show, I talked to a fabulous woman about uh, entrepreneurs and women in solopreneurs and small businesses. And my special guest today, however, is Ian Graham. And welcome, Ian. Thank you, Sarah. And Ian has had extensive leadership experience in a large corporation and leading a large corporation and the transformation of the culture in a large corporation. And I thought in terms of a theme of leadership, that bookended the whole topic really nicely from small business and solopreneur to a large corporation. And we're really lucky to have Ian along today because he's got a wealth of experience and knowledge from the inside about leadership. Uh, so it's not just reading books about it and hearing all sorts of interesting things. He's actually done it and experienced it. And uh, we get to chat about this today and I'm really happy to have you along. So welcome again, Ian. Thank you. Um, so a bit of quick fire for a bit of background. So where were you born?
2: I was born in Scotland.
1: In Scotland, that's a long way away because we're coming to you from Australia, so Sydney, Australia. How did you come from Scotland to Australia?
2: Well, my parents in the post-war years, like so many people did, um, went to Australia or Canada or or the, or the US. And so our family settled in Australia in, uh, in the early 50s and I've spent my whole life in Australia since then.
1: All right. And is it just now taking another tack, is there some book or something you've read that's inspired you lately?
2: Well, a book that uh, maybe not so lately, but uh, Mao's Last Dancer, I thought was a a wonderful uh, story of uh, um, a young person uh, just driving and and thriving and becoming a a leading ballet dancer in the world. And uh, interestingly, Met an Australian and settled in Australia, and I had the pleasure of meeting um, Mao's last dancer uh, at a uh, a conference where he was speaking in uh, in Sydney some years ago.
1: I uh, yes, I've read that book too, and it is amazing the determination uh, and the self leadership that he had to.
2: Was, in, was inspirational.
1: It, yeah, wonderful book. Um, and do you have a favourite quote? brings to mind
2: um, no, no long long quotes uh, it's a it's almost a mantra of mine under promise over deliver <laughs> fantastic. so hopefully we do that well, we do that for your today. audience today <laughs>
1: fantastic. all right well let's under promise and over deliver that's fantastic okay so tell us a bit about your career which led up to you taking up your role as ceo
2: well, I was in a, a company that uh, the, the current CEO at the time was coming up for retirement. And uh, as part of grooming me and others within the organisation to be potential successors, I was uh, offered the position of state manager to work with our clients and build the business in the marketplace. Up to that time, my role had been overwhelmingly uh, in the financial area and and, and company secretary of the company so this was a big step out for me to get to move away from uh, the financial side uh, for me and I hope the company the good news was that uh, I was uh, selected to be the uh, the next ceo on the retirement of uh, the incumbent
1: and in relation to that so obviously they must have recognized something in you where they felt that you had the potential to become the CEO of the company, which is a significant step up. So you may not have recognised that in yourself at the time.
2: Um, did you? I, I didn't actually have that as a, as a single goal, to be the CEO of the company. I've always and continue to this day to believe that all I ever strove for was to be the best I could be at whatever I did. And if, if you were good enough, um, the opportunities would come. Interesting, the company at the time actually uh, retained an outside uh, mm-hmm. group to do the assessment of the potential successes. And one of the questions, uh, one of the comments that uh, or sort of feedback I got um, from them at the time was, Ian, why is your team the only team that says that company policies don't get in the way of us doing business. And I basically said, well, you know, I manage the company policy side. I don't put that burden on our people directly. And so the bureaucracy was sort of filtered. Uh, I saw that as one of my responsibilities.
1: Right. So in relation to leadership, what, to you personally, what does great leadership mean to you? What does it look like, feel like, sound like?
2: Well, for me, interestingly, I never actually thought about leadership in that way when I was appointed CEO. It was just a natural next step up. What I didn't realize at the time was that um, being a good manager didn't necessarily make you a great leader. And uh, while I was good at what I did and did a lot of things well, They were predominantly outwardly focused i was focused on our customers i was focused on our shareholders i was focused on uh, all of the external stakeholders and didn't focus on the internal people in terms of what experience they were having
1: right so how did you shift that focus
2: well we had a change in shareholder um, sort of halfway through my time as CEO. And obviously when a new shareholder acquires a business, the first thing that they would normally do is look at replacing the, the existing CEO and bring in their own person. In the conversation I had with the new shareholder, I, and they supported this, I suggested to them that if they retained me for 12 months and the team for 12 months, and they were uh, not happy with any part of that, then Ian or other members of the team would go. Um, Clearly, we were confident on our ability to meet their needs. But having had a new shareholder, I commissioned an internal customer and also a a cultural engagement survey. We looked at the customer side and we also looked at our uh, people. And I have to say, the results that came back from the team were quite sobering for me because it basically said that our people were it was an okay company to work for, but it wasn't a great company to work for. And as a leader or potential leader at that time, I saw that I needed to step up And as a CEO. This is not good enough. We can do better. I can do better. And that was the beginning of a journey for me.
1: Right. Well, we're going to talk about that journey in the next segment But um, and that journey from being a good manager, and obviously you were a successful manager, to a great leader that others wanted to follow. But let's just consider for a minute the dynamics within a large corporation. Let's set the scene for us that here you are, you've got this um, task in front of you, a need that you see as a result of this survey that, you know, look, it's it's an okay place, but it's not a great place. So that's a need that you could fulfill in your role and and potential role as a, a CEO. Um, but you've got this sort of internal dynamics of a large corporation. It's not like a, a, a small business where basically you're the master of your own destiny.
2: Talk it, about that. Yeah, look, um, it's really about getting the balance right um, to make sure that the competing interests of the, the shareholder and um, the regulators, uh, the customers and your people, that they that all taken into consideration and uh, that was the part that we hadn't fully I hadn't fully got right in setting the getting the settings right both for myself and the senior team and we were certainly not uh, role modeling the behaviors to the extent that the team would like to see so having got that feedback you know that was uh, really interesting there was a the time that I was appointed CEO the Australia was in a significant recession at that time. So a lot of the focus was fixing things, protecting the company uh, against, you know, the the significant economic downturn. And that had a big impact on the uh, customers. It had a big impact on us and also on our bottom line in terms of the profits. So my task was very much driven by necessity of rebuilding the business into something much more sustainable. Clearly having achieved that, it was now time to reset for a company to realise its full potential in the market and for our people to realise their potential through the company.
1: You know, when you hear the sort of breadth of what you had to deal with um, and you can just hear the confidence, the the quiet inner confidence that you had, I'm sure you were dealing with a lot of... um, it's sometimes tricky but con- and sometimes conflicting dynamics that you then have to mm-hmm. get working in harmony and drilling down into the resources that you had within yourself. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. We're going to take a break soon and in the next segment we're going to talk about Ian's journey from being a good manager to a great leader because it always starts with that personal development, that raising of awareness mm-hmm and drilling down into greater resources within yourself. So we're going to take a break and we'll be back shortly. And if you're interested in finding more, finding out more about Conscious Confidence and Timeless Wisdom, go to my website, ConsciousConfidence.com. That's ConsciousConfidence.com. Check out my website and have a look. And you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter If you're interested in finding out more about conscious confidence, a timeless wisdom. And I derive all of the key elements of conscious confidence from the ancient wisdom of Sanskrit. And I've done quite a few shows on Sanskrit and its relevance today. So we'll be back soon and talking to Ian about his journey from being a good manager to a great leader.
3: Imagine that you can create anything you choose. Literally, imagine it. Join us to explore the neuroscience of imagination, intention, and clear speed. Tune in to ClearSpeed Talk Radio with Dr. Jeanette Wolf on TransformationTalkRadio.com every fourth Friday at 9 a.m.
2: Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. As she explores how your inner dialogue, your conversations, and the words you choose to use can help set goals you keep, achieve greater health and resources, and feel the ease and flow of loving your life. For more information, visit JeanetteWolf.com.
1: Have you ever wondered how you might feel differently if the books were full of her instead of him? What if your history lesson was filled with powerful women leaders and rulers? As a woman, would you feel more empowered? As a man, would you see women differently? I'm Megan Edge. I'd love for you to join me on my radio show, Playing on the Edge, Radical Change with Ease,
2: with my co-host, Dr. Pat, on Transformation Talk Radio. I hope to see you there.
1: welcome back everyone welcome back to conscious confidence radio with sarah main i'm the founder and creator of conscious confidence a timeless wisdom and in today's show we get to talk to ian graham who's now retired but was a ceo of a large corporation for 21 years is that right it's a yeah. long time. That's a lot of experience in leadership and some of the incredible work that Ian did on the culture of the organisation, not just getting the company functioning well and uh, successful in the bottom line, but also the culture so that people loved working there and were engaged with where they were working and not just checking in every day to get their own paychecks. It was some, mm-hmm. somewhere that people genuinely felt connected within themselves and wanted to give their best. So we're now gonna talk about Ian's journey from being a good manager to a great leader. And Ian said that to me when we were talking about uh, leadership. And I thought if that's ever a a desk diary quote that you can put in front of you, is Mm -hmm. that journey from being a good manager to a great leader. So welcome back Ian, and thank you for coming along and thank you for joining me. can you just tell me your starting point—that that absolute place where you started from, moving as a manager to a leader? Where was that? Was that a um, a moment where you realised you had to make the change? How did that come about?
2: Yes, Sarah. As I mentioned in the uh, the earlier segment, that we did do a, a culture and engagement survey with our people, um, following a change in the shareholder, and the results. Um were surprising for me and somewhat disappointing, which our people were saying this is a okay company to work with, nothing special. And uh for me, I wanted the company was special for me, and I was excited, and I like to go to work every day, and I got a lot of satisfaction from what I did, but I wasn't hearing that through the survey results from our people. So I accepted that as a challenge in terms of what did I need to do as a CEO and do significantly different than we currently were doing. Innately, I'm a conservative, relatively quiet sort of person, and I needed to sort of separate that from the sort of leadership that the team were expecting or looking for. Um, I recognised that I couldn't do this on my own and, therefore, through the company, um, with the company's support, I engaged a coach and worked with that coach uh, initially for six months. But the changes that are required are are, are much more significant uh, and you don't and can't necessarily achieve that in a short time. I worked with that coach for two years on a number of different aspects of my development. The three key areas that I was focused on was very much on recognition. So while I was getting a lot of uh, good feeling, feel good factors around what I was doing, um, internally, the management team, including the CEO, wasn't providing a recognition framework, which acknowledged a lot of the other great things that people were doing. So that that was a really important consideration. Decision making was too slow in the organization and particularly at the CEO level. And for that to change, um, you know, I needed to um, empower the managers to a much greater extent to let them lead the decision-making process rather than everything having to come through the CEO. And finally, you yeah, know, with communication, in the marketplace, I was perceived to be a good communicator, keeping the market and our customers well-informed. That wasn't replicated internal communication so there was a lot of gaps um, and therefore the workforce didn't always know what we were doing or why we were doing it so there were three key areas there were other areas that I re- was required to work on and initially I was you know when we did the next survey the results had moved a fraction I was disappointed next one <laughs> it moved another fraction but it's Took three or four years for that to really get some meaningful traction, and having moved from a a fifty-three percent sort of position, which is not good, not bad, um, I was sort of really excited to, and the team were excited to see the changes that uh, developed over that last five years before I retired.
1: Wow, that's it. you know to hang in there and pursue something for three to four years to really start seeing mm. results that that you've got to be in it for the long game and understand the bigger picture.
2: And that's a challenge today's corporate world. Yeah. so many CEOs um, are only there for five years you know that's sort of an average life five six years for a CEO. So right. there's almost a new CEO coming in every five or six years with their own vision, their own views. Know, their own strengths, their own weaknesses. yeah and uh, you know organizations have all the right words in terms of their values up on the wall, um, you know their mission and vision that that means nothing in itself. It, it really is about the behaviors, the role modeling. Uh, our people judges reasonably, uh, harshly when we don't live up to our own values. Yeah. and uh, I think that's a, a critical issue. The other key thing is mutual respect and trust in organizations is really a fundamental uh, if you're going to grow and thrive
1: right you've said some very very interesting things I, the one thing that struck me was the the three elements of um and you can correct me if i get this wrong one was not in this order one was um recognition mm-hmm. The second one, uh, I know there was communication, and the third one was, uh, what was it, the recognition, communication and, and decision And decision-making, that's right. Those three elements um, all require you to, uh, in a sense, let go of keeping any of the sort of uh, power within yourself. Mm-hmm. And CEO was about connecting that. Uh, influence and that authority right through the organization. Um, there's an element of humility in that to, to not it, it not be your leadership not to be all about you and yourself.
2: That's really yeah. a really critical point um, that in in the corporate world uh, there is so many CEOs or leaders, but it's all about them mm. and it's not about the business, it's not about the team. It's not about the customers, um, and I think one of the things that uh, over this period when we changed the culture was that everyone of the senior management team was empowered to talk about the business uh. in the appropriate way where in a lot of organisations, only the CEO can talk to the regulators, only the CEO can talk to the board, only the CEO can do this, only the CEO can do that. Um, mm-hmm. In some organisations, particularly if they're, they're owned by the founders, for example, that might be understandable in many respects, but mm. in a broader corporation with many shareholders, um, you know, there's no room for hubris, it's it's about the business. We're all empowered to do a job, we're all paid differently for our different roles in organisations, but at the end of the day, we're just one of 50, 100 or 1000 people Working for the organisation,
1: uh, you can already hear the the elements of great leadership just in you speaking. Mm-hmm. You're probably unaware of some of it,
2: but, but, uh, but let's let's be frank about it. It, <laughs> it was a journey. It was a journey. It didn't yeah. didn't happen overnight. I wasn't born with those insights. Yeah, and there's still probably a lot of insights today that I need to, would need to develop outside my corporate world. Yeah, that would be of interest. The most telling thing when I got my Uh, Culture and Engagement Survey results and I shared them with my wife at the time and uh, she said, I could have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) You could have saved a lot of money.
1: Thanks a lot. (laughs) But look, often it's the things right under your nose that you can't see. It's the one place you don't look. Someone once said to me, the one place we don't look is right under our nose and I thought, gee, is that ever not the case?
2: We never see ourselves as others see us. Yeah, yeah.
1: Look, I... I really connect with your humility and that doesn't mean sort of a grovelling sense but the ability to uh, let go of keeping it all for yourself and, and you know, bring everybody into the situation so that everyone's raised up because then that ultimately has got to be the best for everyone. Just before we finish this segment and go to a break, where did you find your confidence because my theme is conscious confidence. how did you find that there must have been times where you thought oh my god what am I going to do I, Where did you where did you find yeah. that strength and confidence to keep going? Um,
2: I think I think confidence was one of those innate things for me mm. um, whether I was involved in sporting events or community events uh, one way or another I'd end up coaching, uh, captaining, leading, Doing a lot of things that tended to place me in some sort of quasi leadership role. It just seemed to be the way it was. Um, interestingly, going back to when the recession we had to have, and I was appointed my very first year. Um, I mean, I had to make decisions with the team every single day about how we were going to save the business, basically, and. Uh, Not for one moment did I believe that we wouldn't save the business. I didn't feel the business would fail. I didn't. It just was innate that if I get on this and work on this with the team and do the things that we need to do and do them right,
1: we'll succeed. We'll succeed. Yeah. And uh, and
2: and that and that's still you know my sort of underlying philosophy today. Right. If you really focus, I have confidence that you can make the changes. I've never stepped back for one moment and wondered can I fix
1: this? That's, you've said some very interesting things there. And I love the word focus, because focus is intrinsic to the conscious confidence model, Mm. values and focus. And um, in the next segment, we're going to take a break now. And in the next segment, we're going to come back and talk to Ian about great leadership and values, because I know that the way he turned the culture around was a connection to values. And having that go through into the actual behaviours of himself and his team, senior team, and right through the organisation. And that's ultimately how he turned the culture around and it came back to value. So we'll be back soon to chat about this more. Thanks golden otter divinations
0: radio where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with autumn seibel tune in the first friday every month at 9 a.m pacific as autumn educator health coach and medium explores metaphysical and mainstream strategies on how to elevate your level of conscious living draw in the abundance that is yours by divine right for more information about working with autumn visit GoldenOtter.us. that's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us What is holding you back from living the life you are meant to live? Why is it vital to believe in something bigger than yourself? Are you in physical or emotional pain? Tune in monthly to Vibrant Purposeful Living. Awaken the vibrant life within you with Lou Paradise and Dr. Pat on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Lou's passion is to help everyone experience positive solutions for life. Find out more about Lou with Vibrant Purposeful Living at LouParadise.com.
2: Living Lighter Radio with Jason and Patricia. We have an ecosystem approach to your life. Tune in weekly every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio as we, Jason and
3: Patricia, discuss what's truly holding you back. We offer you the tools you
2: need to reach your goals and at the same time be living lighter. For more information about Living Lighter, visit www.livinglighter.org.
3: Despite all efforts, is your pursuit of emotional freedom not going so well? Are you still stressed and anxious? It must be getting harder and harder to work on these issues. Meet Dr. Friedman. His breakthrough seminar may be the solution you have been looking for. It provides you with the insights and tools to reopen lines of inner communication, address deeper subconscious roots of your challenges, and discover how self-compassion can truly quiet your fear. What medicine and research taught me is that we have all unlimited potential to heal, grow, and thrive. So learn more at drfriedman.com. That's D-R-F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. And tune in to Dr. Freeman's Empowerment Radio every first and third Thursday at 9am for even more ways to live your life with courage, integrity, and trust in your own counsel.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Conscious Confidence Radio, A Timeless Wisdom. I'm Sarah Main. And joining me is Ian Graham. He's retired now, but he was a CEO of a large corporation. And this month we've done some shows on the theme of leadership. And Ian's just an absolute goldmine wealth of experience on leadership, but leadership from the inside not just reading books and listening to podcasts, but real leadership from the inside where he understood that it was all about everyone else, not just about himself. And on that theme, we're going to talk about leadership and values, because I know values were really important to you in turning the culture around. So just starting off, what were the chief principles that you stuck by in your leadership?
2: I'm. I would say the the key would be integrity. Um, right. I, I think it's absolutely critical that everybody within the organisation and those that deal with you outside the organisation uh, understand who they're dealing with and that they're entirely consistent in the way that they operate and the way they communicate um, to all stakeholders. I think that's a, a it's a really real building block. One um, also, while sometimes it can be challenging, offering respect and trust to your people. In other words, they need to feel certainly respected, and they certainly need to feel that you know you trust them. And in the majority of cases, uh, vast majority of cases, uh, your people deserve that. In terms of those. From time to time, that don't deserve that, then you need to deal with it.
1: <laughs> I feel there's a whole, <laughs> a whole so thing we could discuss just on and, that. And, and your so and you your
2: people, your people will judge you harshly right. if you do not deal with the problems. Yeah. Um, with behavioural problems, or people who clearly are in the in the wrong job and in the wrong organisation. Right. So you have to, as part of your leadership, you have to make those hard decisions yep. and sooner rather than later.
1: Yep. Yes, I heard one, um, one person in leadership saying that uh, if someone's not really performing and you've done everything you can to help them mm-hmm. um, improve in their role, you've supported them, you've educated them, done whatever you can um, to keep them there yeah. beyond the time is actually holding them back from moving forward in their life into where they need to be.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, value, values cross so many different things, and, and, it, and it certainly means different things in different countries. So there's significant cultural differences that if you're dealing uh, across um, in Europe or in, in Asia or, or in America or, you know, Certainly in Australia, and uh, I had a limited amount of cultural training because we had uh, in other countries because we did have a a business in Hong Kong, and one of the challenges for me as a leader of a a business in Hong Kong was to understand the dynamics of giving people feedback in a in a Chinese sort of environment where there's much more of a hierarchy Hmm. and people um saving face is a really important cultural uh, issue for them um then it's you know it's quite hard for us anglo-saxons possibly um australians uh, to recognize that and make yeah. sure that that's dealt with sensitively mm.
1: so what did you do to learn about this sort of thing
2: um we engaged some external uh, specialists people who actually advised the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade team about how to deal with the different cultural issues in the various countries that, you know, the government, public servants, um, ambassadors and others go out to these countries. Yeah. And uh, we found that particularly useful and helpful. Right. So that we got to understand and see them as they see themselves. Yeah. And also to help them understand us. It wasn't just a one-way thing for them to understand what's different about Australia and the way we do business in Australia, and that might help, you know, bridge the gap understanding that can exist between us from time to time. Right, but it's it's not something that you can take for granted.
1: No, it's it. it uh, what I um, am struck by is this this openness to be educated, to learn more, to see where the gaps are, mm-hmm. and seek to fill those, um, so that you're always doing your best mm-hmm. in the role rather than just not bother, basically, which would be so easy to do.
2: I think one of the other things, and I know it's a value one, but yeah. one of the other messages I would have is that, you know, people come to the CEO for sometimes advice, sometimes for a pat on the back, sometimes for a whole range of reasons just to be acknowledged about their own work. Uh, one thing I resisted strongly was when people came to me and were asking me to make their decision for them and I felt that was a bit of a cop-out in on their part you know and I would always push back and always say don't ask for permission to make a decision that you have an authority to make. If you want input, you want some guidance that's that's fine but ultimately you've got the authority. You have to make the decision, and I and I will support it.
1: Wow! So always growing the team, growing that potential within someone, and by yeah. even you know requiring them to step up and do what they're meant to do.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I, I think yeah. anybody's in a CEO role yeah. will be able to recognise that people come to them all the time asking for decisions on things that the CEO inadvertently consciously takes on mm. and once you start that process that person those people people in your team will keep coming to you and it burdens you when you could be applying your time and effort in other areas
1: right so what are some of the great examples of of the values engagement where you saw things that showed you that values were becoming the 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 driver at the heart of the culture of the organization just it could have been just an incidental thing that proved to you that things were starting to shift and that values were at the core of the place?
2: Um, People were actively looking to be part of project teams. Right. um, Wanted to be actively involved in the change processes. I mean, the organisation was in a constant state of change and you needed the right sort of people who would thrive in that environment rather than resist it. There would always be some points of resistance, but you needed champions uh, at many levels in the organisation, just not at the CEO level or the senior management level.
1: Right.
2: And I believe that we were successful in engaging the majority of the workforce to play their part in the changes that needed to be made to take the business forward.
1: And have you got any sort of examples that you saw to say walking down the corridor or, you know, in people's just... Little
2: yeah. incidents as, as, as a CEO, um, my, my role was I think cheerleader. <laughs> um, I call it the WD 40, a product that you use <laughs> to take the friction out to make sure things run smoothly. <laughs> That's a good example. Um, so <laughs> <A> lightning rod, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 was, I was there to make them, everybody's life not easy but make everybody's life satisfying that they knew that from the top to the bottom, we were one team. Right. And if that meant sitting down, listening to what they actually were um, you know, doing and asking questions. Yeah. Um, one of the, I would call, significant difference between a leader and a manager, a manager tends to tell people what to do. Leaders are interested in asking and giving feedback and being part of whatever that person wants to do. Right. So, you know, you're not disempowering people Yeah. where managers inadvertently or otherwise disempower people, take their ability to make decisions away from them, Yeah. leaders empower them to make those decisions. Right, yeah.
1: So there's some really interesting things we can take away from this and learn from this conversation with Ian is empowering others, not holding the power within yourself and telling other people what to do, mm. asking questions drawing out from them the way forward uh, so that someone can step up and play their part yeah. in the organisation, reaching out, getting educated. And I just loved your opening uh, statements about values to do with trust and respect and, in, and above all, integrity, mm-hmm. so that thought, word and deed in the organisation was in mm-hmm. alignment yeah. Um So that's so important. And in relation to alignment, uh, if you go to my website, I've got a free Design Your Own Alignment Guide, which you can download, uh, because alignment and balance is absolutely critical in developing conscious confidence and developing your own leadership, be it self-leadership or leadership if you're in a role in your workplace. Uh, You need that alignment of thought, word and deed, And on my website, I've got a two video series you can download where we talk about how to design your own alignment guide and get yourself in alignment, your body, mind, heart and spirit in alignment so that you've got the clarity to act with purpose, with integrity, so that you can be a great leader in your life in whatever role that you play. It could be even within your family, be a great leader to your kids be a great leader in your workplace, be a great leader in your community. So after the break, we're going to go to a break now, and after the break, we're going to talk to Ian about what he's done beyond his CEO role in the corporation, his job, as it were, because he's done some remarkable work with a not-for-profit organisation and he's still involved to this day, even in retirement. This is where he spends some of his time now. um, And he's got a lot to... uh, teach us and show us about what he's learned in his work beyond that in a charitable organisation that's doing amazing work um, around the globe, in fact. So we'll be looking forward to hearing about that. And I'm keeping it secret because so that we can learn more about it in our next segment. So thank you for all your insights to date, Ian. We've really enjoyed hearing all about your experience as a CEO. So we'll be back soon.
3: Hi, I'm Laura Meeks, and the most common problem that my clients face is all work and no play.
2: This is why I created Fly High Living. I help you develop a balanced life plan and guide you to a place where you love to wake up in the morning. Call 888-666-1570 or go to flyhighliving.com to sign up for the four-week Flight Plan for Life course.
0: Are you ready to embrace your essence and the magic of who you are? Let me, Emily Perkins, hold your hand and walk with you as we go treasure hunting for the gold that lies within you. Tune in to Love Living Radio every second and fourth Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information, visit LoveLivingHolistics.com.
1: welcome back everyone welcome back to conscious confidence radio and in our final segment today with our guest ian graham who was a ceo of a large corporation he's now retired and we get to now talk to him about what he's doing post ceo role but this started before you finished working in your formal role you started Uh, being involved in an amazing organisation, and I'm going to get you to talk about that. So tell us about your role of leadership beyond the corporation that you led.
2: Well, thank you, Sarah. Um, In my corporate life, and I did mention in one of the earlier segments that uh, we had a change in shareholder, that was an American shareholder who was a major sponsor for Habitat for Humanity. And so with the acquisition of our Australian business, uh, our parent introduced us to Habitat for Humanity. And through that connection, our company became a sponsor of Habitat in Australia. And uh, for those that may not be aware, but Habitat for Humanity uh, provides uh, uh, affordable housing uh, throughout the world. I think they operate today in over 75 countries, uh, in South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, America, Canada. There's pretty much few countries that they're not not present in. Uh, they're a wonderful organisation, and uh, through our connection uh, in my CEO role, uh, we became a sponsor and supported domestic building uh, around Australia in South Australia and in another of our mainland states. During that time. Uh, we were offered uh, through our sponsorship many, many volunteer opportunities. And uh, so I, as a CEO, as you should lead by example, uh, volunteered and uh, with our teams went out on these sites to build, build homes for family and needs. An amazingly rewarding experience uh, over a decade before my retirement. Uh, since my retirement, I've uh, Involved with their Global Village program, which is very much uh, going into Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Fiji, and uh, one or two other places. Uh, I only very recently, in the last three or four weeks, came back from a corporate build where two very large Australian corporates uh, went to Vietnam uh, with very senior people, the CEO and their senior executive teams and uh, together built a home in Vietnam, which they found as a very, very rewarding experience. Now, I think through these volunteer activities, it's very telling to hear what the volunteers actually say, and just to say that our employees uh, were very actively involved. Over 40% of all our employees had a Habitat experience uh, each year, and it featured very prominently in the feedback through our culture and engagement surveys right people today particularly younger people want to work for organizations that are community orientated community minded and are doing good in one way or another and they want to be part of that following retirement i uh, very much uh wanted to continue my association with habitat so i uh, been actively involved in their national and state-based boards. And that's been a, a very, very rewarding experience to be able to play my part in promoting and advancing habitat's mission, not just in Australia, but also into Asia Pacific. The most telling quote that I could offer coming from one of our volunteers, the family were expressing uh, a real sense of appreciation that the volunteers had traveled so far from Australia into Asia to build a home for their family and to support their children. And the volunteer was heard to say, we are the ones that should be thanking them, the families, for the opportunity to serve because For us that do go on these volunteer builds who participate in them and see how it changes the family's life, it is a personally very rewarding thing and it stays with you for life. So the volunteer was expressing in a very meaningful way what his presence uh, meant to be on the build and uh, I thought that was certainly a very insightful comment by him. Mm. Habitat, you know, uh, is involved in so many parts of the world. And uh, you know, it's, it's not just in terms of building decent housing. Um, they do have what they call wash programs, water, sanitation, and hygiene projects running around the world. All of these are making a big impact. Um, Habitat for Humanity in America, I understand, is the, the fourth biggest home builder in the country and uh, quite often, they're the first at uh, major disasters, Um, like Katrina, for example. Um, Habitat was in there before the government was able to get in there at that time. Um, They're certainly a deserving organisation in terms of both personal support and financial support, and corporates increasingly today uh, are finding value in connecting with an organisation like Habitat. And so, my personal experience is really to have worked with them and continue uh, into the future um, participating in builds. I'm not just a sort of board member type person. I need a hands-on role to add value and build the whole connection in terms of what the vision and purpose of Habitat is.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for such a, a full description. I just loved hearing that <coughs> transformational point where people going and volunteering got even more out of it than the people on the receiving end of the the service and understanding that and how it then fed back into the organisation when they went back to work. It inspired them. Incredible.
2: There is is volunteer activities around the world for all of your audience Uh, should they be interested in doing that. You don't need any skills. I don't have any particular trade skills. Uh, I do the heavy lifting and the carrying and whatever else is required out on site. I mean, these countries we go to out of, out of your local countries are very hot and very humid, and very can be very uncomfortable. But at the end of a week build or sometimes two-week build, uh, everybody comes away feeling, wow, what an experience. Right.
1: And that's the, the power of service and everybody working together With a shared purpose, it's absolutely fantastic and so inspiring. So, for someone wanting to become a great leader, what's your top three tips? If we can wrap up this conversation,
2: well, let me Um, (laughs) give. Let's throw
1: that on you.
2: I would. would, Firstly, I would. Others would determine whether I was a great leader. I don't know that I would necessarily put that on myself. Right, I wouldn't do that. Um, But yeah, like. And this is Jacinda Hearn, Prime Minister of New Zealand, has recently been rewarded um, for her leadership in the Christchurch terrorist attacks and has been recognised by Time magazine. Now, that was a situational thing where she stepped up and demonstrated what she had to offer. Not every situation requires that, but when it was needed, she was there. So... I think she's been properly recognised for her leadership in that situation. Um, There's plenty of other examples. Um, It's still, to me, that I I put it in integrity. Integrity outwardly focused outward from oneself. Right. In other words, you're focused on others, not not yourself. Yep. And being absolutely genuine in everything you say and do.
1: Right. Fantastic. What a you know if you just stuck to those three, how transformational transformational is that. Thank you, Ian. That's been such a fascinating journey from management and manager to to leader. And I'd say you're a great leader. I'm going to put that on you.
3: Well,
1: (laughs) I'm really connected with your connection to values. We've learned so much. And then taking that forward into the work with Habitat for Humanity. And I loved hearing more about it and um, the power it has to transform everybody Um, not just the the recipients, but also the people delivering the service. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you for coming along. Thank you for joining me. My
2: pleasure.
1: Uh, It's been a great show and I look forward to seeing you next month where we've got more exciting shows all around uh, leadership and conscious confidence. So bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening to Conscious Confidence with Sarah Main. Join us next month on Transformation Talk Radio for more timeless wisdom with Sarah's exciting and innovative approach to living. Discover more joy, freedom, and step into your limitless potential. For more information on Sarah Main and her work, or to listen to past shows, visit sarahmain.com.